It's time for JT the Brick. Hey, JT, how you doing, man? Now there's a new team, and everybody's pretty much new, and I got their back. I want this thing to work. Everybody's got to get on the same page. JT the Brick. Yeah, there's going to be ups and downs. There's going to be last-second losses. There's going to be a draft pick that doesn't make the team. Whatever it is, it's Raider Nation. JT, thanks for having me on. Always great to catch up with you, and keep her going, okay? I'll talk to you soon, man. And now, here's JT the Brick. JT, as we're back here, one hour, quick hour, as at an event today for the Raiders over at Allegiant Stadium today with the teammates of the Raiders and Molson Coors, and they had a big fantasy camp out there today with a couple of Raider alumni on this gorgeous day. I'll tell you, the Raiders and the community, they're proud partners, having a good time and getting together and making friends and making new friends in the community. We really appreciate that. Thanks to the Raiders for having me out to MC a really cool event at Allegiant Stadium today in front of a great crowd. Every time I'm in that building, I'm thinking of the Raider Nation. It looks incredible today. It looked great with the sun coming through the lanai windows. Just, just the stadium is off the charts. Last time I was there was for Billy Joel, and I popped back in here again to see it, and it looks better and better, and I can't imagine what it's going to look like with Devontae Adams. Uh, running routes in the red zone there and going for big home run touchdowns as he was introduced yesterday over at the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center. We're going to end this hour with a portion of that press conference yesterday. I thought he nailed it. I thought his energy was great. He was fantastic. And he really made it out to be that he wanted to be a Raider his whole life. It's rare when you see that. There are guys who come to this organization and say that. Remember I said that about Yannick Ngakwe when he came. He felt like he was a Raider and wanted to get here for years, and he got here. We wish him well. And Devontae, with the connection that he has from Palo Alto and his family being all Raider fans, that was a fantastic press conference. Again, we'll get to that a little bit later on as we're brought to you by PTs. The best happy hour in town from 5 to 7, midnight to 2, your home field, home gaming bar for entertainment, the Vegas Golden Knights, and just have great food, drink specials, and sit back and watch sports. Steve Weish is a longtime NFL reporter and host at NFL Network, and he anchors some big events at the Pro Football Hall of Fame. So, as you know, John Clayton passed over the weekend, and my goal was to go out, and we're going to do that this hour and continue to pay tribute to him. He's a friend of mine, and John's been on my show countless times throughout my 20-plus years on the radio, 25 years on the radio, and John's been on with me every decade, and a guy I really trust and I miss. So next up is Steve Weish from NFL Network, someone who was very close with John, and I wanted to get him on Raider Nation Radio so we could talk to him this week, and he found time for us. Steve, uh, let's jump in on John Clayton, as you heard, as you check in here. Can you talk about the impact the news had when you heard that he passed away? Oh, it's crushing. It's devastating. I mean, you talk about one of the most decent human beings. I mean, we know him for being the professor you know, on ESPN, just, uh, just a tireless information gatherer too you know the, the joke about john is if there's minutia of minutia john clayton will be the one to decipher it and report it. i mean he just worked so hard but he was just such a fantastic man you know i was working as a beat writer in atlanta covering the falcons for the atlanta journal constitution he would call me to gather information and then we you know on, on what the falcons were doing because you know, he was based in seattle and he would chat for a while and it just really led to a great friendship and you know, one of the most admirable things about John Clayton is, you know, his, his his wife is very sick. I mean, she's been very sick 
for years. Um, and he spent every waking second that he could with her, uh, taking care of her. And, you know, the fact that, you know, now he's gone and, and she's still with us. I mean, I thought, wow, you know, I, I just know this man poured it, poured his heart out to making sure she was okay. And now he's no longer gone and just would avoid in, in all of our lives. And I'm sure she's just devastated by all this. I mean, it's just, it's so sad, you know, cause he just, he meant so much to everybody and just didn't have, he's one, you know, you hear the cliches, oh, this such a nice person lit up a room, but he didn't have, not have a mean bone in his body. He was just always scrambling to get that information to serve, to serve his readers and his viewers. And it was never about him. Steve Weiss is our guest, NFL Network. Steve, it's interesting because you're a grinder. There's a lot of grinders out there. you got to get information. It's part of your job. It's why you're employable, and your career continues to advance. What was it about John and the fact that he took his career to a level of ESPN? He was a household name, and he treated his weekend show on ESPN 710 or on KJR back in the day like it was a Hall of Fame assignment. That, that's what resonated with me. Every day he got the most out of it. Yeah, I mean, look, he started, he grew up outside of Pittsburgh, and, you know, he just kind of, he kind of had that, that blue collar to him a little bit. Um, you know, I think the professor was an apt nickname. You know, you'd see him coming, like, this guy here is talking football, but he just worked, and he, and, he, and he worked it in such a way as to where people were willing to help him. You know, it wasn't, he wasn't protecting anybody. Um, if he got information, he would use it. He would report it. But it was so dignified in, in the way he reported it and the way he carried himself and the way he went about his business. And again, man, I mean, I cannot state this, the manner in which he let everyone know how much he loved his wife and how much he cared for her, I think just went a long way with everyone to show, you know, to, to understand the integrity of every fiber about John Clayton. And, and, and I mean, that, that says a lot. You're, you can talk to 20 people about him. Somewhere along the line, that's going to come up about how much he loved and cared for his wife. And that really just highlighted his character and integrity. Nicely said. Nicely said. Steve Weiss from NFL Network. One more, just the Hall of Fame. You have a great, great platform at the Hall of Fame. When I see you there, we'll both be there, Cliff Branch, this year and the impact of the new class that's coming in and all the people you get to see in that small town of Canton, Ohio, and how big it is and the fact that John won't be there but so many other insiders will be there, Hall of Fame voters who are inside that room. That's a big part of his legacy. Yeah, John was a selector, a long-time selector. Um, And, you know, John was great at, like, like working a room, right? So I'm not a selector, but I'm around the process, right? And so I would see him, even like with a lot of reporters who are selectors, would be having breakfast at the hotel, uh, cafe or something, and he's bouncing around to the, the different factions of voters, probing everyone. And he wasn't polling them um, so he could see which way the wind was blowing. But I think he was polling them to get insight on just what everybody was thinking. And he would share his information. Um, so in case, you know, they had a very tough discussion coming up over a certain player coach, he knew, okay, this is going to be the real sticky part. Let me have my backbone ready. Um, but yeah, not having him in that room of, of those great 48 selectors, trust me that, you know, he, he's going to be missed. I mean, this is a year after we lost Therese Paler, you know, the young 
mm-hmm. a writer out of Kansas City, you know, another Hall of Fame selector. So um, th- those are some major hits, you know, coming from that room. But John Clayton um, just is, is, a, is a giant in our industry, not just among his peers, but among, among teams and coaches and especially the Seattle Seahawks. Um, I mean, that, this is a huge void that, that, that now is there because he's not here. Steve Weiss, let's go around the quarterback carousel. I don't believe that we'll ever see this again because the next time there's a carousel that could even be compared to this, Tom Brady won't be there, and he's the greatest of all time. And Aaron Rodgers could be a Mount Rushmore guy. I say this when when history, Steve, slaps me right in the face. I have to be able to understand it. And I feel like what we saw with Matt Ryan, what a career he had. You talked about covering the beat for Atlanta. Let's put his career in perspective in Atlanta, because I, I don't think a lot of fans give him the ultimate respect for everything he's accomplished there and what the Colts are getting for a guy coming off being pretty healthy, and a good offensive line, and an opportunity to get back to the playoffs. Well, especially the fans in Atlanta. I mean, now that he's gone, you know, they'll really appreciate him. But, you know, let's first off, to the first part of what you said, let's backstop everything we're seeing with this quarterback carousel to what the Rams just did, right? They just went all in to get the quarterback because they felt they were a quarterback upgrade away and it worked. So now that's what the Broncos are doing and and, and everybody else is doing, right? So to get to Matt Ryan, the Falcons tried to do it. Now they're, they're far more than a quarterback away, but they made the move for Deshaun Watson because he could be the son that they build the universe around, right? They went in, the Saints went in, the Panthers went in, the, the Browns went in, but then, when things got too sticky at the 11th hour and Deshaun's agent really flexed some leverage to end up back in Cleveland. Okay. Now Matt Ryan, who has been with that organization for 14 years was kind of like, okay, you guys tried to move me out of here. Now move me out of here because, you know, let's just take the past few years. He has gotten a living snot knocked out of him playing on bad teams with poor offensive line with skill players, Calvin Ridley, you know, didn't play most of last year. He was going to be gone. The running back situation, it it, it was just, you know, ever since the Super Bowl, the amount of talent around him to succeed has deteriorated to almost like, you know, microscopic dust. And he still held in there because he was such a a flagpole and and a flagship of that franchise. So when this happened, for him to be able to get out, for them to trade him to a contender with the Colts, I think was, was dignified. Um, on all their parts, Matt didn't go Baker Mayfield and, and go on social media and cry and, and do all this. He kept quiet. They got him out. And now the Colts have a legitimate opportunity in that division because he's a very poised player. People are going to cite his stats. Okay, he had like 20 touchdowns and 12 picks. Look who he was playing with. Look at how many of those passes were tipped. Look at how many times he was facing third and 18 because he's getting sacked. Okay, you've got to take everything – you know, into context here. But, you know, my memories of Matt Ryan after the 2007 season when Michael Vick goes to prison for dogfighting, Bobby Petrino comes in and quits, you know, with three games left in the season. The whole team is is an ash. They come back, take him a third in 2008. They get him Michael Turner. They get him some free agents, and they go to the playoffs his rookie year. His leadership, his poise, his consistency – he is going to help that Indianapolis Colts team an awful lot from a maturation and an ability to win ball games point. So, will they, will they get to the AFC? Lord knows, because we talked about this quarterback carousel. It seems like they all landed in the AFC. Um, but 
just an upstanding gentleman who I have the utmost respect for. Um, and, and I'm glad, again, he landed on a team where he had a chance to win at the end of his career. Wrapping up with Steve Weich, NFL Network reporter, one of the best in the business. Steve, if you could have been with Baker Mayfield two weeks ago or a month ago and sat down with him, go back in the hot tub time machine, what would you tell him compared to what we've seen here over the last couple of days? Well, I mean, just, just if, I were, if I were like a confidant of his, I'm like, hey, just keep on rehab and get that shoulder ready. Let's come out and have a big season. They went out and got Amari Cooper, this and that. Now, you throw the whole Deshaun Watson sweepstakes in there. Yeah. Okay, he's going to be heated because, look, they didn't commit to him for that fifth year of his rookie deal. So now he's automatically vulnerable. He knew it was a prove-it year. And now they're bringing in another guy. So he's, he's clearly, you know, they, they've moved on. They've, they've two strikes. No extension. Or, you know, they didn't, they didn't extend him. And now they're looking at somebody else. So get me out of here. But I'm going to keep my mouth shut. You know, Baker, no matter what happens, no matter how much your feelings are hurt, be a pro. You're not the first. You won't be the last. Look at how many teammates have come and gone that you had and have held, a, they've held their heads high in a professional way. You do the same because that's how this business operates. It's cutthroat. You're a quarterback. You go be you. You play your tail off no matter where it is and always do it in a professional way. Last one, all the years we've known each other, can Mark Davis, and not from you because you cover the Raiders really well, can Mark Davis please get the credit for Chandler Jones, Devontae Adams, what Dave Ziegler pulled off with Josh McDaniels? I mean, will he get more respect in the room for these blockbuster deals that put the Raiders in the conversation of a Super Bowl contender, if the Raiders, the Raider roster now compared to Cincinnati last year or some other rosters, I think it's right up there. What do you think of the Raider blockbuster moves? Uh, awesome. I mean, when they got Chandler Jones, I'm like, whoa, they got Chandler Jones and Gakway, Max Crosby. Okay, one of them's got to be gone because they trade a unique in Gakway. You know, they, they, get, they get the corner, you know, to add to the mix. Oh, bang. Then they come in Devontae Adams. What? Absolutely, you go make that move. That shows a commitment to Derek Carr. JT, you know this. Mark Davis, for all of his quirkiness and everything people pick fun, this man's heart is as good as gold, and all he wants to do is win and to uphold the legacy of this organization is his father. He does it in different ways. So be it. You know, he got he got, you know, hurt by the by the John Gruden situation last year, which was no fault of his own, right? No fault of his. But, you know, doing what he's done last year under those circumstances, in this offseason, in entrusting Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler. Um, we'll see how it pans out. But, yeah, Mark Davis, it, you know, again, he may be unorthodox, but, you know, if, if it works out, he'll get he'll get some of the credit. A lot of it is going to go to Josh and Ziegler. Um, but, yeah, he should get credit for making some of the moves that he's made this offseason and especially, you know, doing what he's done with the leadership of this team. Thank you, Steve. I'll see you out in Vegas, if not before. Thanks for coming on with us. You got it, JT. Take care. Appreciate Steve Weiss for joining us there. As you can tell, he is a man with a heavy heart. And John Clayton is a friend of all different networks. NFL Network obviously loved John Clayton, his years on ESPN. And the fact that John was a friend to everybody. You know, when Coach Madden passed away, you saw all the cooperation between the major television networks. Fox, where he started at CBS with Pat Summerall. ABC, NBC, he worked everywhere. And when he passed away and they had that documentary, which was the property of Fox at the time, Fox released it to everyone to use so everybody can play it. 
And I'm kind of getting that same sense about John Clayton in a different way. You know, there's not a documentary about him yet. But every network has been cooperating. Every local station. Uh, a station heard me do this in Pittsburgh and had me on. Because they heard I was doing a week on John Clayton and he got a start there. So I appreciate Steve Weiss, who's a good man. As we continue here, coming up next, we'll talk to a man who knows college basketball. Last time to get your bracket ready for the Sweet 16 as that kicks off tomorrow. Dallin Cuff, who's now on the big seat at ESPN with Jay Billis, Sean Farnham. We had uh, Jay Billis and Sean on. Jay yesterday, Sean last week, and Seth Greenberg. He's the next new star in the making, former player from Columbia, now on ESPN. We'll talk to him when we come back. JT, Raider Nation Radio today, March Madness, coming off Devontae Adams Day yesterday on the flagship, Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. Thanks for coming back here on a beautiful Wednesday. As uh, earlier today, I just got back from hosting an event, emceeing an event at Allegiant Stadium for the Raiders. I want to get another March Madness hit in here because Vegas is the head of March Madness. And there's a lot of games to the right of us, depending on where you're looking on the West Coast, and everything to the east of us and all the games that are coming up here with the Sweet 16. Uh, Dallin Cuff joins us. And first time I'm interviewing him from ESPN uh, he's been doing a lot. You've been seeing him as of late here. Also from the ACC Network on radio. Uh, Dallin, thanks for coming on. And I want to talk before the Sweet 16 about some of the big picture storylines that you think were the stories heading into the upcoming game starting tomorrow. Well, I mean, the chaos, JT. Yeah. You just said it. <laughs> I mean, nobody, let's not, I don't want to poo-poo St. Peter's, but yeah, nobody knew anything about St. Peter's. Like, I'd watch one of their games, just have some sense of how they play defensive one or two of their games. But with things like that, when you're preparing, in all honesty, I had Kentucky in the final. Like, I didn't wow. think we were going to need to talk about St. Peter's beating Kentucky. So when you're looking at all these games, and we watched so many games in the course of the year, just so you viewers know, but obviously like there's Colgate I probably saw seven or eight times. Like when you look at the Vermont, I saw seven or eight times. Like teams you think they're going to be in the tournament that have friendly good programs that you want to be fully aware of that could pull an upset. I, like I said, I saw St. Peter's maybe one or two times. Didn't think it was even possible. Didn't, didn't run it through my head, you know? Um, but that's been a lot of this tournament. Now, when we looked at that Midwest bracket, where Auburn lost, Iowa obviously lost early on. I thought that would be the bracket of chaos. I thought you had any of the higher seeds about to lose in the second round, if not the first round, and we saw a lot of that happen. So that just reiterated what we've been saying all year. There's a, there were a number of good teams. There were no, there aren't really any really great teams, and there are you know still a bunch of random, a bunch of teams can win this thing, and we're just not really sure who. I lean toward Arizona. You don't want to grab the defensive board. You could almost lose to TCU, and they somehow squeaked out one. Which usually when you make a run all the way. You're going to have to survive at least one, so we'll see if that was the one they survived and they can keep, keep and they actually do cut down the nets. We'll wait a couple weeks to figure that out. Dallin Cup joins us, ESPN and ACC Network. You nailed it on Arizona from watching that game, and there were several opportunities for TCU to beat him. And I get so frustrated. I don't have a dog in the fight here. I know Jamie Dixon well, and I've interviewed him throughout my career, and I'm looking at how great of a coach he is and how great his players played to win that game in regulation. And a tip ball, a rebound, a foul, and one. And at one point, you remember that Arizona took three 
three pointers in the row in, de- in desperation, missed them all. The smallest <laughs> guy grabs an offensive rebound and gets an N one. That's unheard of. I, I mean, I couldn't believe that sequence. And all of a sudden, Arizona is alive, and now they got to feel like that was their nightmare scenario that they got through, and they can win this. I'm sure that's the way they do feel. Um, and I'll, I'll be with you that realistically, that game I thought was over 67-60. They were actually up by more than that though, but 67-60, just under six minutes to go. There was a loose ball that kind of flung up in the air, and Arizona didn't really pursue it that hard. I, I don't know what the heck was going on, but it kind of summed up there. Every 50-50 ball for TCU the final eight or nine minutes to get them down from double digits to a tie game was theirs. They owned the energy. They owned the tempo. They were controlling that game. They pulled down that loose ball, kick it out, hit a three. Next thing you know, it's 67 all. Next thing you know, they're up by three. Um, so they're, they're, it's hard to watch a team compete that hard, do all the right things, and just come up a bit shy. Now, that isn't sometimes a testament to your opponent. They did not play as hard as I think you need to play every possession. And that's why that thing got tight late. But they found a way to make the, I think the offensive rebound, get an in one, make the right plays, obviously get a stop. People thought that was a foul uh, in the, the last possession of regulation. In all honesty, I watched it back a couple times. I thought it was a good no call. I did think it was not the best production for them not to show that multiple times. I feel like live in the game, they didn't go back to it a couple times, which I would love to even see in the course of the game as we continue to move forward. Um, but overall, Arizona did pull it out. I think they will be looking at themselves saying, we can be better. We have to be better. We survived and advanced. Dallin Cuff is kind enough to join us. What a great job he's doing at ESPN, especially with my friend Sean Farnham and uh, Seth Greenberg that we have on. And I'm going to jump back to you for a moment, then jump back to the games. Give us your backstory and how this opportunity came about for you on one of the biggest platforms in all of sports. Wow. Uh, I'll try to sum up a, uh, a random, random career in, a, in, a, in about a minute for you. So I played basketball at Columbia University. I got done. They had a radio station there. They wanted me to be the analyst. They said, will you pay me? I said, they, I said, you pay me? They said, no. I said, I'll do it anyway. And that kind of started my career. My first game was at Duke. Um, I took my headset off. I said, no, this is what I want to do. The problem was I wasn't making any money. I worked in marketing and advertising in New York City for the first five years out of school and did broadcasting as a side job. 2011, I said, hey, I can't keep doing this. It's not, I got to go all in. I went all in, and it worked. And I was fortunate to, to have a lot of great mentors, and a lot of people allowed me to stretch my skill set beyond just being an analyst, to learn to be a host, to learn to be a reporter, um, to do all these different things, to round out my skill set, to offer something more valuable to um, networks because playing at Columbia is not the sexiest thing in the world, and I'm very aware of that. So like my ability to do other things and having people support me and teach me and help me uh, was critical. So going all in, working hard, and, allow, and having the right people around me has given me some amazing opportunities to work with people like Sean Quantum, as you mentioned, other other great people that I'm fortunate to be part of with at ESPN. Dalen Cuff joins us. That's a great story. I'm happy I asked it because what a grinder. What a story. You, you probably got to that point in the road where you talk to your family and your mentors and were like, I don't know how far I can do this because with your education and the opportunity you had in big business, you probably could have walked away and did just as good, if not better, financially. But now you're in your passion zone, loving your job more than anybody, right? Uh, well said. And I actually, the exact moment, I'll tell you exactly what happened is the Steelers lose to the Packers. I'm a diehard Steelers fan from Pittsburgh in the Super Bowl. I'm there with my brother, one of our best friends. Uh, needless to say, after that loss, I was, let's say, I would say I was overserved, uh, to put it delicately. <laughs> and uh, we are sitting in a Denny's off of I, whatever's down there, out of Fort Worth uh, or by Arlington. And I'm telling my brother in a bit borderline haze how much I hate my job. I got to find my way out. I got to get this broadcasting thing, yada, yada, yada. And the next day, I, I fly back to New York. He goes back to Florida. He's a surgeon. And I call him a couple days later, and I'm like, yeah, man, can you get me, like, a pharmaceutical sales job or something? I need, like, I need something stable while I can do the broadcast. And he said, no. 
no, I'm not getting you anything. I'm not helping you do anything. You need to quit your job and you've got to go all in. Because no matter what, you can go back to this advertising and marketing. You can use the education you got. You can use the connections in business. And you can go do that stuff if you fail. But you need to go try. And if you fail, you fail. You go back to everything. But you've got to go all in. You have to be fully focused and, and let your work ethic and, and you know, show through and, and do what you do. And he was right. And that's why he's my big brother. He, he, he was wow. right me in, in every way, way, shape, or form. But he gave me that push. And I went and did it. And, um, and like I said, there were a lot of people along the road that helped me. Um, open up the doors, but you got to, I mean, anytime you have the door before you, you got to kick it, kick it open. You got to, you got to work harder than everybody. Everybody knows that. So that in this business, it's a hyper competitive business. So working hard, using your connections and really say, never saying no, is an important part to, to try to climb the ladder. Dallin Cuff joins us. This is a great story. ESPN, ACC network, all the success you're having here as we finish up the bracket here. So I'm giving myself a lot of credit picking Duke. Because here's why. It's so easy to pick Duke. They're a one or two seed constantly. But after the North Carolina loss at home in Coach K's final game and what we saw from them in the tournament, I really look at them as an underdog more so than ever. Izzo had them dead. Michigan State is a great program, great coach. They should have been able to put them away. Coach K survives that game. And again, they got the Zags in the bracket, depending on what happens with Eric Musselman in Arkansas and Gonzaga. They got to get through a really good Texas Tech team. And that just gets him to the final four going through the number one seed in the Zags. Are you buying Duke or fading Duke going forward here? Well, I am fading Duke, and here's why. I have Texas Tech coming out of that bracket, uh, okay. out of that region. I have Texas Tech beating Gonzaga. Um, and even in Vegas right now, Texas Tech is a favorite, which I was surprised by that. Uh, because of what's on the Duke's chest, that Vegas would really install them as a favorite means that really they think this game is closer to a three or four point line than the one point line they have right now. I think it'll get that down to a pick em, in all honesty being the brand that Duke is. But that was, you were right. They had him, Michigan State had him dead to rights. It seemed like it was, it was going to be that time that this is, this is it. This is Coach K. Swan song. But his guys fought back, and they executed down the stretch on both ends, which they had not done much in this year, bear in mind, JT. They've not been challenged that much in the ACC. When they were, they failed. Miami at home, they gave up a lead late, they lose. Virginia at home, they gave up a lead late, they lose. Wake Forest, they have a huge lead, they almost lose. FSU on the road, they, they, they are up, they lose. Like, they, they have not finished games that were tight particularly well. That was an impressive step made forward. They understand who, how to execute. They played through Bancaro at certain times. And defensively, they got stops, which was so critical. So, overall, I think this team, the problem is the inexperience. Bear in mind, before these tournament games, nobody on this team had played an NCAA tournament. Right. That stuff matters, man. The experience part matters. And them also having experience of playing in tight games. I think what they're going to see with Texas Tech, though, is a defense they've never seen before, a physicality they've never seen before. If the game's officiated, like most of these games in the tournament have been, where you're allowed to clutch and grab and be physical, that really helps the Red Raiders here, and I think that's going to be something that Duke's going to struggle to overcome. I think it's a tight, tight one-possession game, but in the end, I think the experience, the physicality, and the defensive prowess of the Red Raiders pull, pulls away, and they win, and unfortunately, Coach K's career ends on that night. Dallin Cuff, as we wrap it up, you know, Dallin, one last thing. I had uh, Jim Laranega on my show on the bus right after the win, and it was a really fun interview because of the backstory with him and George Mason, and he's been in that story before, similar to St. Pete's, as we started off our conversation, and I look at Miami beating the very long USC and how they were able to do that and then smoking Auburn. Now they get what has to be considered a break, an 11 seed in Iowa State. Not saying that that's going to be a walkover, but they'd take that game anywhere if you told them before the tournament started. And Kansas always plays chaotic. Bill Self has one ring. He recruits well, but their teams always play under chaos from the Sweet 16 on. Do you give Miami a fighting chance to get to the Final Four? 
I do, but I'll be real with you. They got to beat Iowa State first. And the TJ Osterberger, okay. his first year, has really coached that team well. And they, well, I say that it's defensively, they are top twenty defensive efficiency. They're able to pressure pressure you. They kind of do things differently at times. They're trapping stuff. They're switching things. They make it hard. Now Miami's got a bunch of guys that can just go make plays, which really helps when you're operating in a defense that likes to pressure you, likes to create some chaos. You have guys that can just go create on their own, and they've got four of them really, and that's really important to this Miami team. So. Um, I'm really happy for Jim Laranega. I always like to say he's very professorial in all our conversations and talks. I feel like most of the time we end up not talking hoops, just talking life and talking philosophy. And he's just an interesting, uh, outstanding coach who's just a, who's a, who's a real genuine person. Um, their team is able, they're capable of beating Iowa State, obviously, obviously, but that, that is not by no means a pushover type game. I think that's going to be a really tough game for them. And if they do get a chance to play Kansas, uh, or Providence, they obviously can beat any team in the, in the tournament mm-hmm. right now. I think they've shown that all year, whether it's beating Duke on the road or dismantling Auburn uh, it, it, the other night. Like they're, they're capable of beating anybody. Um, matchups matter, and I think this Iowa State game is it's just, an, it's just an interesting matchup because the other, other matchups actually favored them with their playmakers and how they played versus what's going on with this game, I think may just be a little bit more of a physical and mental challenge for them to get buckets. Now, Iowa State can really struggle to score on the other end, so I think that will help the Hurricanes for sure. All right, we're new friends, and you're going to remember this interview for one reason. It has nothing to do with the NCAA tournament. I am a Tottenham fan. And here it says you are an Arsenal fan. So when the local derby, I know the history of this rivalry from English soccer hooligans dating back to the 60s and 70s. So Tottenham Arsenal, when they go head to head, I'm going to start texting you in the future and we'll have a beverage or a couple of beverages the next time they play. Hey, JT, this is a great interview. I appreciate it. I'll tell you what. Any, anybody that loves the North London Derby as much as I do, I will love to break bread, have a couple pops with you anytime, my man. Talk to you, my friend. Best of luck the rest of the tournament. All right, be well. Appreciate you coming on. Dallin Cuff, really unique story there at the end about his brother and his brother saying, no, you're going to do this, you're going to do this on your own, and you're going to have an opportunity to do great things. And he's off to a hell of a start. Uh, definitely someone who I think has got a great career in front of him. All right, joining us next, is someone that I really like a lot, and I know you do. If you're familiar with him nationally or in Seattle, and I've had him on the show his entire career, Dave Softy Mahler joins us with all the news of the quarterback carousel this week and John Clayton, because Softy's based in Seattle and knew John well, and he's kind enough to join us on Raider Nation Radio. As Softy, we continue to talk about the life of John Clayton this week, and I'm happy you were able to get back to me and say you could do it. Uh, let's begin by talking about the impact that John Clayton had on you, not only in Seattle, but in your life. Well, he just taught me how to treat people, dude. I don't know how else to say it. I know it sounds corny. I know it sounds a little mushy. But John Clayton was the biggest star with the smallest ego I've ever seen in my life, honestly, man. He would make everybody feel like he was the most important person in the room, and I was crushed on Friday when I found out he was—he uh, had passed. And you know, this is uh, this will show you first of all what kind of person he was. That in 2010, John Clayton was forced to go work for a different radio station because they acquired the rights to ESPN. And ESPN basically told John, "Hey, you can keep working for KJR, and you've been there for 15 years. But if you do that and you don't go work for the new ESPN affiliate." We're going to fire you. And so we had no choice but to go work for the new radio station. And even after that, we would still talk about information in the NFL. He would still answer my texts and questions about 
things happening around the National Football League, how the Hall of Fame voting committee was going, for example, uh, different trades, different transactions that would come down. He never treated me like a competitor, even though technically he was one with a different radio station. And this goes to show you this story about how dialed in he was in 2006 the Seahawks transition tag Steve Hutchinson. John Clayton walks up to Mike Holmgren at the Combine in Indiana and says, hey, I think you guys just transition tag Steve Hutchinson instead of franchising him. And Mike Holmgren looked at John and said, what are you talking about? There's no way we would do that. And he was right. John Clayton telling Mike Holmgren about a move the Seahawks made before Mike Holmgren even knew about it, man. That's how dialed in this guy was. There will never be another John Clayton. There's never been another John Clayton. And guys like Adam Schefter, Ian Rappaport in the NFL, Tom Pelissero, even guys in baseball, Rosenthal, Jason Stark, even guys in the NBA, Ian Wo- or, uh, Adrian Wojnarowski, they owe this guy a giant debt of gratitude because he was one of the first real intel First information guys ever in sports, and all those dudes owe him for what he did. Softies, our guest. Incredible, incredible insight on how an affiliate, a flagship, could change your persona, but it didn't change him in a big local market. What was it like in Seattle when people saw John go national on television and do all yeah. those TV hits, and people in Seattle said, Oh my God, this is one of our guys, and he's on TV on the biggest stage? It made him even bigger every day he was on our station, every day he was on the other radio station after he left our station. John Clayton could have been completely full of crap about anything in the NFL, and everybody would have bought it because it was the gospel. Whatever came out of John's mouth was the absolute, and there was no debating it, and it made him even bigger. It was a source of pride for a lot of people in this area. He began his career in Pittsburgh, came to Tacoma to work for the News Tribune, and then came to KJR when we launched as a sports station way back in the early 90s and began a Saturday show taking call after call after call after call after call. He tried to talk baseball. He tried to talk basketball, but the audience wouldn't let him because they always wanted to hear what he had to say about fantasy football and the National Football League. And here's another funny story. John Clayton was late to the game embracing social media, embracing Twitter, and he finally did it. The day he created his Twitter account, he had hundreds, hundreds of thousands of followers, eventually got over a million, and he forgot to turn his notifications off on his Twitter account. So every time he got a new follower, he got a new email to his phone. He had hundreds of thousands of emails coming to his phone telling him about a new follower, and it took him days to clear his inbox out. That's how popular this guy was. He was an absolute stud. He treated everybody with respect. He always asked people's opinion, whether you were 20 years old or 80 years old. I've never seen a guy treat people like that, and I will take that with me for the rest of my life. This is so good. That's why we're doing a whole week a tribute to the late John Clayton. That was fantastic, Softy. Now let me talk about the offseason and ask you about the Seahawks. You're diehard. You cover the team closely. And how's it going with free agency when when you found out that Russell Wilson was leaving for Denver? A lot of people speculated it was going to be Denver if they didn't get Aaron Rodgers. How did your listeners react in Seattle? I think a lot of people said good riddance, and it's unfortunate that some people think that way, but that's the reality, man. Russell Wilson was rubbing a lot of people, JT, the wrong way. He had become about himself. He had become about his legacy. He had become about his legend in Seattle. 
for the team. This is a guy that you got to understand. The first eight years of his career, he wouldn't rock the boat whatsoever. He would never dream of going against the grain. And then all of a sudden, he goes on Dan Patrick. He's complaining about getting hit too much. He wants stars. He wants this. He wants that. He's on Twitter. He's acting weird. He's got different voices. He's tweeting out cringeworthy photographs from his Twitter account. Now it's all about his brand and more about him and Sierra and less about the football team and winning championships. He started talking about winning the MVP. He talked about my legacy, not the team's legacy. And that was totally different than how Russell Wilson was operating in the previous seven, eight years of his career. And that's fine as long as you're playing good football. But here's the point. The guy picks this time in his career to start playing bad football. The second half of 2020, he was awful. 2021, he's bad. And then he breaks his finger and he can't even play. And then he comes back and he's not good. That's the issue. He complained, he bitched and moaned about a lot of things and never was able to carry a team by himself. I am honestly worried about the Denver Broncos and what this guy is going to do in Denver. Every time he throws the ball 35 times or more, the team usually does not play well. He's not a quarterback that can put a team on his back and throw the ball 50 times a game. And if he plays poorly in Denver, Denver's going to have a big problem in a couple of years with that contract because he's going to want $60 million. He's going to want to be the highest-paid quarterback in the history of the NFL, and Denver's going to have no choice but to give it to him. But, hey, don't forget this. This guy wanted out of here. Seahawks fans are having a hard time embracing that. There's not a chance in hell Pete Carroll trades this guy unless he has to. These deals are not made. They don't go down in the NFL. Teams are stupid. They're committing suicide to trade players like that as opposed to building around them. Pete Carroll was not going to make this deal unless he had to, and Russell Wilson gave the guy no choice. Dave Softy Mahler as we wrap it up, KJR. So I'm going to be very careful here. I don't want to poke the grizzly bear in Washington. I'm a Baker Mayfield guy. He's available. He played hurt. He plays angry. He's got bravado. He's got energy. I think he's a hell of a player. And look, he won the Heisman. He had the rookie touchdown record. He led Cleveland, which was a laughingstock to the postseason, won a divisional playoff game. Any interest in Seattle for Baker Mayfield? There is, but not for a second-round draft pick. I think that eventually Baker Mayfield may get cut. The market for him isn't much right now. There's only three teams that really are looking for a quarterback, and that's the Seahawks, the Carolina Panthers, and the Houston Texans. I don't see a bidding war for this guy. I could see him getting released by Cleveland when it's all said and done. I could see somebody picking him up for a fifth or a sixth-round draft pick. We had Pete Carroll on the air today, and I asked him flat out, are you interested in giving up a first- or second-day pick for a quarterback that can help you in 2022 and he said of course we are but that's the thing that he always says he always talks about being involved and in on every transaction that's out there they may not do it but they'll be a part of the conversation I just don't see the Seahawks going after a guy like that for that kind of draft capital when you're talking about really a football team that has so many problems JT if they go with Geno Smith or Drew Locke this is probably Honestly, a 4-13, 5-12 football team with Baker Mayfield, what are they? 8-9, and 9-8, and eight? what's the freaking difference, man? He may as well suck and get a great quarterback in next year's draft and keep that draft capital and see what Drew Locke is all about. So do I want him from a sports talk perspective? Hell yes, I want the guy. It'd be freaking amazing to have Baker Mayfield in town. But from a fan, not for a second-round draft pick. That's way too high. 
brilliant tribute to John Clayton, my friend. We were all friends. Uh, we miss John. Thanks for doing this. I really appreciate it. He was the best. Love you, man. See you, pal. Really good to catch up with Softy as we continue here on Raider Nation Radio. And again, we got a lot of Raider news, and we're talking about the roster, and Dave Ziegler's going to join me next week. He could have joined me earlier today, but I had an event for the Raiders that I uh, agreed to do and wanted to do and was thrilled to do earlier today. When we come back, and again, thanks to Softy, we're going to wrap up the hour with a portion of the press conference from yesterday with Devontae Adams. What Devontae had to say, what stood out to me, as we wrap it up and we come back to you tomorrow on Thursday as March Madness begins. And we have a big show lined up with a couple of special guests that we'll tell you about and tweet out. Remember, follow me on Twitter at JT the Brick and on Facebook at JT the Brick. You're listening to Raider Nation Radio brought to you by Modelo, the fighting spirit. Every Friday, especially this one with the weather clicking, a bucket of Modelo's. Raise a Modelo to the great Jim Plunkett and Tom Flores. Why not? This is Raider Nation Radio. JT, back with you as we wrap it up. Bobby. I worked on this. We wanted to make sure we wrapped up today's show as I was running around town here and had an opportunity to put something together here quickly. Uh, Here's a few minutes from the press conference yesterday, which I thought was fantastic. Devontae Adams was introduced at the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center, and here's a few minutes of what he had to say in front of the local and national media. Yeah, I attack it. um, You know, I'm in the the business of maximizing everything I do, so... um, Definitely uh, looking forward to, like I said, leaving my footprint, doing everything I can to, you know, hopefully allow this team to win a lot of games. Devontae, Joe Rebo, Franchise Sports Media. Two-part question. Talk about the impact Keith Williams had on you developing your craft and perfecting it, and then coming out of your second year, you had a trying second year, a lot of ups and downs. Talk about how that molded you into the receiver you are today. Yeah, well, I mean, those kind of go hand in hand. Keep it real with you. Um, you know, Keith, Coach Dub, he's, he's the – I had two offers coming out, San Diego State, Fresno State, and I, my grades weren't where they should have been when I was offered. And um, they they really took a, a chance on me because I, I had to pick it up my last two years in because uh, I didn't play football till my junior year. So my last my junior and senior year in, in high school, I had to really dig deep, and I took like eight classes my last year there while people were taking four, you know, already knowing where they're going to school. So. Um, he was one of the ones that was there supporting my mom. She's crying like, I just really want my son to make it. You know, he, he didn't apply himself. He's incredibly smart, but he was not applying himself first two years in high school. Um, I, I love telling this story because it's good for, you know, people to hear, for the young people to hear, to know that it's never too late, um, especially if you have a great support system like what I do. And having Keith, um, you know, there in my corner and, and pushing me and making sure that, you know, I was, like I said, maximizing everything that I, I could do. Um, that's the only reason that I'm sitting in this chair right now, honestly. I, I don't know what would have happened if, if not got all of the talent and, you know, the smarts and all of that. But I think I've, I met somebody who could really reach that and, and, and pull that out of me. And, you know, like I said, uh, I, I owe a lot to him, and, and he knows where we stand on that. Um, and in that second year, the you know, obviously it did a lot for me because I knew the type of player that I was, but I just had to uh, – 
I had to prove it to myself by staying healthy. And, you know, I dealt with a lot of injuries and couldn't really use that at the time because to, to you guys, that's an excuse when you're, when you're in it. You can, in hindsight, talk about it, and that's kind of, you know, where we are now. But um, I wouldn't change it for the world because I feel like it, it made me bulletproof at this point. Like, there's nothing anybody can say, do, um, you know, a rumor, whatever. Like, the way I attack my life is almost different because of that. You know, I just... Um, you know, I'm, I'm calloused at this point. So, you know, I'm, I drop a ball on the field. It's just about something that just happened. It's not going to, you know, be a, there's not going to be any residual effect because of it. I'm not going to get down on myself because of it. It's, it's just like if I was at a workout and, you know, I dropped the ball, you're just going to get back on the line and run it again. Not going to let it tear you up mentally and, and become something that's, that's bigger than what it is. And, I mean, that's, that's where I am now. And that's, that's why I'm able to have the success I, I, I can because my confidence level is really high. Um, Really, really humble guy, but you know I know who I am as a player and um, what I've been through. It, it can't be worse than that, you know. As far as the social media and all of that, like I was scared to get on social media. I didn't know if I was going to be on the team the next year, all of that. So to be able to come back after having one touchdown in the second half of the last game of the season, to having 12 touchdowns the next year, um, you know, and then you, you know what happened after that. So. Um, yeah, like I said, I'm, I'm callous at this point, so it kind of made me the, the man that I am. Let's do three more. We'll go to Sean, Cassie, and Anthony. Dante, in recent years, you, you've said you know, a few times that you deserve to be the, the highest paid receiver um, in the league. Um, what's it mean for you to check that box, not just you know, for the, the saying that, but also for your family? And, and your yeah, man. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a blessing. It's funny you say that because this is like one of the, not the first times, but more of the stuff has been surrounding the fact that I'm on the Raiders now. You know, everybody's saying congrats on being on the Raiders. It hasn't been congrats on $140 million. It's been congrats, congrats. You get to you get to play for a team, you know, you grew up loving. Um, you know, it's a great situation for you. I'm glad that you got, you know, you're, you're happy and all of that stuff. So it's, it's, it's like one of the first time I'm actually getting to that. And, I mean, it's a blessing. Obviously, I've already made a lot of money. Um, but to, to have this type of security get to a place that, you know, it's, it's almost like leaving high school, going to college again. You know, you, you're a kid in a candy store, and to, to be a place where they're happy to have you and give you all that money, I mean, it's just a bonus. But, uh, you know, I'm, money doesn't buy happiness, but it, it you can buy you a nice house and some stuff like that. So it's, it's pretty cool. Obviously, Raider Nation lost their minds when the news came out. What is your message to them? Raider Nation, I'm <laughs> It's real. Um, I've been seeing some of the reactions. I saw some live reactions from a couple people, a couple local uh, podcasts and stuff like that, some video podcasts where people were reporting some Raider stuff. And then I saw one of the guys saw it on there, just seeing me and my buddy were watching it yesterday. Seeing that, they probably think that, that you know, I would see it and not care. But that stuff means a lot, just, just seeing how, how people react to that type of stuff because – um, you know, obviously I'm excited. I know the team is excited, but to see the, the community and, you know, the rest of the world. I was out golfing yesterday, and there's some Raider fans on the course, and they're just losing it, like different than if it was two weeks ago. I don't know. They see me, you know, for the Packers, and they're excited. But being back home and, you know, a lot of people in Cali are obviously Raider fans as well. So um, it's, it's real. So I'm excited. I'm ready to get to work, and, and we're going to do this thing. Hey, Devontae Anthony with the Fresno Bee. It's been about nine years since you and Derek were uh, teammates at Fresno State. Have you thought about what week one could look like for you two being teammates for 
first time in nine years? Yeah, man. I mean, I'm I'm hoping it's fireworks, but you know, we gonna we gonna do whatever it takes to to get some wins, man. That's that's what's most important. Um, the numbers are gonna come, you know, in the in in the touchdowns and all that. I think we've established that we know we're doing, um, you know, a, apart from each other. Let alone when we get together. So. We both excited and, and ready to get to work. Derek's been bothering me to throw every day. I'm like, look, man, I got to sign. I got to do all this stuff, get some of the, the logistics taken care of, make sure my wife not in too much pain. Um, but yeah, we already ready to get to work and, and start building on that connection that we built uh, over a decade ago. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Full show as we come back tomorrow on Thursday. Also Academy Awards week. I got some news on that that we're going to talk about and a big show as we look back on the Raiders In 1960, we'll do a decade every week leading up to the draft. We stay in the 1960s tomorrow, and we'll tell you who we have lined up in the morning on Twitter, at JT The Brick. Thanks for listening, everybody. Q and Vinny Bonsignor on deck. You're listening to Raider Nation Radio, the flagship of the Las Vegas Raiders.